0: Hey, how are you?
1: I'm okay. I was a little uh, jet laggy yesterday. It didn't feel too too great, which is why I got my dates and days screwed up for the podcast. But now I'm uh, I'm back in this time zone and everything seems to be under control.
0: Yeah, I'm finding now that I am voluntarily unemployed that I'm having difficulty keeping track of which what day, day it of is the week it yes. is.
1: Yes, yeah, yes, you are.
0: I sort of feel like I'm retired. Well, yeah, that's it. It's just like what day it is. Well, doesn't matter, does it? We have guest Dash Fo, who's just joined us. I suspect.
2: Oh, <laughs> hello, Laura. That's <laughs> me. <laughs> Hi.
0: Thanks for joining us.
2: <laughs> oh man, that's like the worst thing is to be on a tech podcast and sign in with no name. (laughs)
3: From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizen's Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth featuring musical guest Sting.
0: The Casbah Revisited. We'll isolate the vocals and look back at the checkered history of this classic track from The Clash.
1: Hey, have you got a barn you're not using? Maybe a basement? We'll introduce you to Laura Simpson of Side Door Access. Look at this, like, Airbnb for musicians and music venues.
0: Plus, we'll give away a Google Home Max and find out how much it would cost to insure the Millennium Falcon before Han Solo cheated Lando
1: for it. Yes, we're, we're really going to do that.
0: And now... Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. One of my all-time favorite tracks is Rock the Casbah by The Clash. How could it not be?
1: It's 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 a good one. Uh, Tupper Heaton, the drummer, wrote that song, and then Joe Strummer kind of r- hijacked it. <laughs> rewrote it? And rewrote a big part of it. So, uh, yeah, and it became one of their big hit singles from the Combat Rock album. And to everybody in the band's great dismay, it became... Um, Kind of a theme song For the first Gulf War Yeah And uh, Joe was very upset About that But it was It was a very cool song
0: The Clash's former co-manager Cosmo Vinyl was quoted as saying that Heaton's original words were a filthy ode to his girlfriend and he told Rolling Stone that he had a really pornographic lyric and if I remember correctly it was very very pornographic which I suppose in part explains why uh, Joe Strummer had to rewrite some of it. And then on top of that Heaton because he wasn't just the lyricist he wrote pretty much the whole thing the piano and the bass as well. No the piano was actually done by, by By Topper. He's the guy that came up with it. No, no, that's what I mean. Uh, That's what I mean. Topper Heaton did pretty much the whole thing, but then because of his drug problem, got kicked out of the band before it became a huge hit. Very long story, but he did get a co writing credit on that. Yes, so yes. We found from Eric Elper, who likes to find these uh, isolated audio tracks, um, this particular one. And I thought I'd mix in the original along with it so you got a a taste uh, of the whole thing.
4: The oil down the desert way had been shaken to the top The shake he drove his Cadillac He went cruising down the hill The prison was a-standing On the radiator grill and sound, but the better when they brought out the electric candle drum, the local kid topic had got his kit topic in farm, as soon as the sheriff cleared the square, they began to wave. The bad career, the crowd say it's cool to do this charming thing, but as the wind changed direction, and the temple band took fire, the crowd got a whiff,
3: of that crazy killer for a child!
4: Way. As soon as the Sharif was put out of air, the jet pilots tuned to the cockpit radio blare. As soon as the sharif was out of air, the jet pilots waved.
0: concern about the early combat rock sessions was that a lot of the tracks ended up being very long. And so he was he at one point during the session showed Does everything have to be as long as a raga?"
1: Yeah, here's the problem. Uh, Bernie Rhodes, the uh, manager of the Clash at the time, was very annoyed that the Clash were getting into these long jams. And uh, he's referenced in the song.
4: Now the king told the boogeyman, you have to let that raga drop.
0: I didn't know what a raga was. I assumed it was some sort of derogatory term for someone in that part of the world, but it's just a, uh, a term for an improvised track.
1: Well, and, and Bernie Rhodes is the is the king, and and he yeah. was they were fighting all the time. He wanted a nice short punk rock song, and uh, Joe Strummer and, and, and Mick Jones were not interested in doing that. But eventually, they they did that. So. Um, Anyway, that's, that's where that line, that line comes from. I've, I found the music video here, filmed in Austin, Texas by director Don Letts. Don Letts was a DJ who, um, played a lot of, uh, dub and reggae back in the day before there were actually punk rock records to play in, in in punk rock clubs and uh directed by him on 8th and 9th of june 1982 it intermixes footage of the clash with terry chimes on the drums terry chimes is now a chiropractor and has a very successful practice in the uk <laughs> really uh miming a performance of the song because of course topper heaton was out of the band by that time and uh terry was uh, the guy coming in to take up uh you know pick up the pieces
0: my favorite part about being able to hear the isolated vocal track is that I now understand what I thought was an accurate lyric, but turns out to be a misheard lyric. But soon as you strip out instruments, I can tell that I had it wrong this whole time. I thought the line went, "Tuned to the Catholic radio blare." No, no.
4: Jet tune to the cuspit radio
1: player Which is why it ended up being a favorite of the jet pilots here <gasps> in the First Gulf Four. What happened underneath? Oh, oh, the dog got caught underneath the console. <laughs> okay, well, that's her problem.
0: I thought that was really neat. Once you took the the instruments out of the track, I could actually tell that I had misheard this lyric the whole time. But my favorite part is, as you know, for most tracks they don't really have an end; they just sort of fade it out towards the end. And and when this one fades out, it fades out before the very specific lyric that makes Strummer sound like a lunatic.
1: Yeah, we're going to fade it out now. The other thing about this song is uh, there is a weird little electronic sample in it. Yes. And I used to think that it was one of those old school Coleco football games, those handheld... Oh, um, yeah, I the- love that. Yeah, I, it, It's not. I found out that it is uh, Mick Jones' watch, something like a Casio or whatever, and that is a sample of it playing uh, Land of Dixie as, 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 as the alarm. So that's what you hear on the song. There's a very good book about The Clash that uh, was released uh, on the 22nd of May, which uh, was yesterday, if you're listening to this, on the day that the uh, podcast is posted and downloaded by a guy named Martin Popoff. It's called The Clash, All the Albums, All the Songs. This is how we know so much about this this particular song. It's because I just got this record in the mail, or this book in the mail, and I've been been reading, and I happen to be reading about Rock the Casbah. Awesome. Yeah. So not only is our guest... Uh, an, the employer of a former intern of mine But the conversation that we're, we've got here Is is—is uh, the book came just the other day
0: it, it all comes full circle to Alan Cross It's all coming together It's all coming together Hey dude, I'm taking the little one out of school On Friday afternoon To go see Solo A Star Wars Story No <laughs> Oh, the Wookiee likes it I've been running scams on the street since I was 10. I was kicked
2: out of the flight academy for having a mind of my own. I'm gonna be a pilot. The best in the galaxy.
1: Hey, kid. I'm putting together a crew. You in? That's yes. No, the bull terrier does not approve of, of any of any
0: truancy. Oh come on, she is a straight A student. She can handle being <laughs> taken out of school for an afternoon. All right, fine, whatever. Okay. We're making memories here. Oh, that's it. Yeah, you know what? You, you
1: okay? I'll, I'll uh, I'll give you that much. Okay.
0: So I was a little surprised when my inbox went bing. With an email from you, which was a chart out of Statista, if the Millennium Falcon was a car, how much it would cost to insure the thing each year? I thought that was hysterical. So go through the list. Go ahead. All right. Now, this is... from a company called Insure the Gap. So this is all out of the UK. So it's in British pounds. So we'll just sort of basically cut it in half for Canadian dollars. If you owned the Millennium Falcon and what red blooded male does not want to own the Millennium Falcon, the cost per year would be about 207000 Canadian dollars just to keep the thing in the parking lot. And that's if you have a clean driving record. If you can make the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs, you probably <laughs> don't have a clean driving record.
1: Probably not. And uh, you know what? I have no idea what you just said because I am proudly not a Star Wars nerd. But okay. Ugh, I know. Dude. I know. I know. I don't want to. I, I... I, 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 mean, I, I mean, for crying out loud, it's, it's just a TV show. <laughs> I mean, look at you. Look at the way you're dressed. <laughs> You've you turned an enjoyable little job that I did as a lark for a few uh, years into a colossal waste of time.
0: All right. So then you probably don't even know what at the top of this list, because the Falcon is not the most expensive space vehicle to insure in a galaxy far, far away, according to this, okay. is the CR-90 Corvette. Do you know of what I speak? Of course you don't, Star Trek boy. Uh, no. 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 The CR 90 Corvette was the ship that Princess Leia escaped in at the beginning that ended up getting caught by Darth Vader. It's that opening scene, right? Right. Did you hear that?
4: They shut down the main reactors, will be destroyed for sure. This is madness.
0: The neat story about the CR-90 was that the model makers put so much effort specifically into this vehicle because they knew this was going to be the Millennium Falcon. And then Space 1999 came out and their ship looked an awful lot like the CR-90 Corvette. Uh, which one? One of the Eagles? Which Space 1999 ship? Oh, dude, you're talking to the wrong guy. Uh, because I was a huge fan of that show. The, the main one with, with the, all, all of the thrusters on the back. Uh, well,
1: that would have been an eagle. Okay, that would have been one of the the the, uh, the eagle
0: transporter.
1: Uh, transporter. They were also an alien fighter. They were. Uh, they did a bunch of things. Yes.
0: First appearance in the Breakaway. Again, according to Wikipedia, and as uh, we'll find out a little later on, I can't trust my sources. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a big, big. Guy. I had a huge crush in Barbara Bain. Oh, I, I don't blame you. But if you have that vehicle, it would cost you about 2.3 million Canadian dollars each year just for the insurance on it.
1: What? Okay. Wait. 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 Okay. Back up. So. I, I didn't read the rest of the...
0: You, you just forward it to me. And I went, just forwarded it.
1: I saw, I saw Star Wars. And go, oh, Mike, boom, there it is. Um, I would love to see the actuarial tables on these things. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a very good point. Because, I mean, okay, This the, shut
0: up down there, dog. Um, the, so $2.4 million, based on what? They say that the Falcon costs about $207,000 a year, uh, largely due to the risk that being a smuggler and the rebel entails, coupled with the litany of modifications made to this iconic freighter. Uh, let's hope Solo has some high-stakes smuggling jobs in the cards to cover such a costly sum, as Luke and Obi-Wan's 17000 credit fee for passage to Alderaan certainly would not begin to cover it. What a piece of
2: junk!
1: So make .5 past lightspeed. She may not look like much, but she's got it where it counts, kid. I've made a lot of special modifications myself. One of the things that they take into account when you are assigned a... uh, When when they, they judge how much you have to pay
0: for insurance is how long is your commute. Right. And where are you commuting to? They say that when it comes to insurance, the two things they're considering is the what and the who. They say they worked out the what and then it was time for the who, which is largely based upon the pilot.
1: Right. So if the who... Like, who's the pilot? Is, is that is that
0: Han Solo, or is that... Well, see, here's the thing about Solo, a Star Wars story, is that we're learning how Han Solo comes to be in possession of the Millennium Falcon. Fans of the original 1977 movie know that he won it fair and square from Lando Calrissian. That ends up being in, in Empire Strikes Back, we learn that out. But the fabulous thing about this movie that's coming out is that we see it when Lando Calrissian owned it. And it was brand new at the time. I don't want the Millennium Falcon that Han Solo won. I want, well, I don't want the one that he had when we saw it. I want the one he won the day before he got his grubby little nerf herder fingers on it.
1: Right. So it's it's right out of the showroom rather than, you know, three or four owners later.
0: Yeah. One galactic credit is worth roughly 50 cents, and that gives the company... How do we know? Wait, wait. How do we know that? Okay. Okay. You know, I'm going to go to xc.com. Where, where are you with suspending your disbelief for no, crime? I'm just going...
1: I just want to see if, what the exchange rate is right now. I'm looking at a uh, How many galactic com- credits versus a Canadian yeah. dollar? Just, I'm just curious to see if they have any galactic credits here. Uh, let's see. British Pound, George and Larry, Guernsey Pound, Ghan and Seti uh, the Gibraltar Pound,
0: Gambian, dis- no, it's not here. Surprisingly. Hmm. However, it'd be interesting to note that you could insure two X-Wing fighters for the cost of one Millennium Falcon. That doesn't seem right, because
1: those are fighter craft. And they're going to get destroyed.
0: Well, maybe this is part of it too, is that we're talking about bulk numbers here, because the TIE fighter, the advanced X 1, is only about 65,000, 66,000 Canadian dollars a year to insure. But if you are insuring hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of them. So you get a fleet discount. Okay. Exactly. Do Do you realize that we just spent 10
1: minutes talking about how to insure fictional spacecraft?
0: Wait, you're the one who brought it up.
1: Well, okay.
3: Ever wanted to be a big shot co-producer? It's just like Hollywood. Visit GeeksAndBeats.com to learn how you can pad your resume with an exciting show credit. We'll even send you the album cover of your episode, suitable for framing in your parents' basement.
0: So you found this service that sort of feels like Airbnb for anyone looking to host a gig.
1: Yeah, uh, and oddly, the uh, one of the employees is an ex intern of mine. I, I think we're talking about the same company. His name's Matt, and uh, Matt worked with me for a little while uh, here in my house, in my home studio, my home office, and then he ended up getting going back to university. <laughs> then he decided the university wasn't for him, and then he ended up with uh, with
0: this company. And what exactly is side
1: door? He explained it to me. It took about half an hour, but I think our guest will be able to do a much better job than than the new guy.
0: All right, well. Laura Simpson is the co-founder of Side Door Access. She joins us now from Halifax. Hi, how are you doing? I'm wondering a little bit about this ability to host intimate concerts in one's home or business. Uh, This sounds like a risky proposition, particularly for the cleanup afterwards.
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Sometimes the first thing that people think about is the liability of having a party in your house with some music, but uh, in my experience, it's actually pretty great and totally benign.
0: The artist uh, gets the majority of the ticket sales, you get 10%. And the host themselves, how do they get paid?
2: We're looking to compensate them um, for sort of costs that they might have incurred. Um, So we give them 10% of the, the gross ticket sales. And basically the thing is, is that... We're not looking for people to make money off of this. It's meant for people who are already doing this, who are wanting to do it for the pure delight of hosting a show in their house, Um, not necessarily because they're trying to make money. (laughs)
1: <laughs> is, is that, that your that pooch yeah, or is that, that alan's no 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 that's not no schmooze is because uh, no, usually it's schmooze schmooze she's sleeping under the uh, under the studio console here now so she's fine
0: right yeah schmooze is the one who's got the sinus problem so that when you're talking it sounds like i'm falling asleep listening to you
1: yeah no that'll be yeah. schmooze uh, snoring underneath the console here so that's, yeah, who, who, that's, 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 that's who's your pooch Pyr-
2: my i've got a great pyrenees mix that we rescued about four months ago who's gotten used to our house concerts pretty quick
0: <laughs> you need to put a saddle on the dog and make it a bartender. Yeah. <laughs> so let me let me let me back up a little bit.
1: So um com is is kind of like this opportunity for bands to make extra money while they're on tour or during downtime. Yeah. And rather than having to go through the hassle of an agent and a promoter and a venue and all the things that go along with it, you have these intimate private concerts We're anywhere from 10 people to 50 people to 100 people in anywhere from a living room to a barn to a backyard to anything like that. And the whole idea is to get up close and personal with the artist uh, for both the, the, the host and for anybody who buys tickets to this thing, right?
2: Correct, exactly. And uh, yeah, and it's just like you say, an alternative space that's not maybe purpose-built with the infrastructure for booking this kind of show. And so for us, it's like, well, you know, I was hosting for seven years. I was like, well, what is going to make this easier for me to communicate with the artists, to set up the expectations? And then also the ticketing, I was getting kind of sick of paying a ticketing company to manage the tickets but they weren't really doing anything other than doing the interface so we sort of built that out and then kind of made it a smart contract so that both sides can do this mutual confirmation and really just concentrate on the show when they get to that point
1: okay let's say i want to host an intimate concert in my home office i have a space downstairs probably good for about 20 people um what do i do
2: so you just basically sign up your space and tell us a little bit about it and a little bit about yourself. And, uh, and then part of the sign up is telling us like what you want and so we're trying to do basically, you know, I, I hate to use this, but you don't have to sleep anyone with anyone. But it's a Tinder style matching <laughs> of trying to get who is going to be the best person to come play your basement based on the preferences that you're putting in there.
0: Considering sex, drugs, and rock and roll, yeah. I like how you said that you don't have <laughs> to, don't sleep, have to with sleep with the with person. Him. You can yeah. if you want to. You don't have to. i keep
2: saying Tinder style matching, and I don't want you know to go the other way, but you know, no, no pressure so we're, we're basically saying you know tell us about your space tell us about yourself but also tell us like what you're looking for so that we can find the best people out there for you so that you're not inundated with things that don't make sense for you and of course you can have a wild card and, and, and we'll just send you matches that are interested but it's a way of funneling things towards you that makes sense and that, that you're looking for.
1: How do okay I find a band and I say okay I want uh, an acoustic set uh, but I want all four members, or I want the full band doing an acoustic set in my basement in front of 20 people. And uh, we've selected the band, we selected the date. Now, what?
2: So basically, um when you sign up, we're going to send you a, almost a pre-filled out show offer, um, with some of our best guesses for both sides, some of the information you've already given us, and then also corresponding with the information from the artist. And so it's almost like a mostly filled out show offer. And so you say yay or nay to those details. Once you confirm that on both sides, the artist and the host, we actually create the ticket offer right then and there based on when you want to announce, we give you some of the materials, a graphic, we, create the Facebook event, um, and the ticket goes live, and people can buy tickets to your house, we manage the payouts, all of that happens, you just have a guest list, and you can check off names at the door.
1: Oh, and so that's it. I don't have to collect money, I don't have to, um, Do I, have to, I guess I would have to cater to a certain extent, because that would be part of my job as a host. Uh, Is it, though? it's up to you. Well, I, I mean, you can't have 20 people who come and see in a band without, you know, having... You know, chips and pop, right?
0: Okay, well, then let's talk about that pop as a wobbly pop. uh, What kind of regulatory issues do you run into if you're inviting 20 people over to Alan's place and he's selling or providing alcohol?
1: Oh, yeah. So do I sell the booze? Do I provide the booze? Um, What do I do?
2: So basically we're looking at this as, you know, you're crowdsourcing the entertainment. Everything else that you do in that house is, that is under the bylaws that you're restricted under. So if if you need a license to sell liquor, then you need a license to sell liquor. And we actually don't condone the BYOB because it gets into areas that, you know, might be really challenging for hosts. You know, that's something that's up to your comfort level, but Side Door as a company isn't condoning, hey, let's just go willing on the booze side. and and do that. That's really up to the person's who's hosting's responsibility.
0: What about liability?
2: (laughs) I'm the daughter of a lawyer. So I kind of went mental on this and consulted about seven lawyers before we even incorporated uh, because it was my biggest concern. And I I really came across various opinions of, you know, it's risk. uh, It's the risk assessment here that we have to figure out. So in our case, we're looking at how much can we set up the situation so that all the expectations are clear for everybody. And so the host is responsible for this. This is, you you are the promoter of this show. So you need to be really sure that you're comfortable with the level of, you know, the band that's coming in, who's coming in. If you want it to be a private situation, you only want to give this ticket opportunity to people, you know, that's totally fine, but we have to be really clear. And we are really clear with the hosts who are coming on that it's just like, you know, when you're having a, a, a party at your house, you really have to be sure that you're comfortable with who's coming in and what's happening at that house. But we try to set up on our end, all of those expectations so that it's very clear what's going to happen.
0: How do you establish ticket prices?
2: So we started with a minimum of $15. Um, per ticket. Per ticket. Um, that's going to be negotiable going forward between the artist and the host. But 15 is sort of our minimum because... You know, part of our company mission is to really set a value on live performance. It's one of the few places that artists can still make money, and we're looking for a way to foster that and put value back into that uh, performance space, where sometimes it might be more of a DIY or pay what you can. We're going to have options to work around that, but right now we're really looking at how do we, how do we reintroduce the idea this is a real value offering that you're getting here.
0: So if Alan can bring 20 people into his basement, that's essentially 300 bucks going to the band and to Alan and to you with a 10%, 10%, 80%. Correct. Yeah. What is the biggest show that you've ever had anybody host in terms of attendance?
2: Um, Let me see. Probably, well, we two, two very different shows were about the same size. In Liberty, Saskatchewan, we just had a show with Madison Violet at a church hall for 106 people. And they had the tables all lined up in giant rows, just like you would at bingo and uh, sold out, and they did great. And, you know, kind of the middle of nowhere, Saskatchewan, which was exactly the point of this. You know, where are you going to stop between, you know, these two provinces in in Saskatchewan? Okay,
1: we should point, point this out, that this is a great thing for artists who are, this is a very large country, and there are many, many, many kilometers between gigs, and many, maybe there are several days. So if you can stop in, do a little bit of a pit stop, play in front of 50 100 people whatever it is make a few bucks that's gas money to the next to the next gig
2: yeah exactly and that's and that's it and i mean we we also have uh, there's a church in uh, bc that we've used that's their capacity is somewhere over 100 i think and um they've done some beautiful work actually with um um this like I can't remember the name of the band now that I'm talking about it, but it's sort of like this Arabic influenced uh, jazz band that did a show there. And it was just remarkable. And it turns out that they knew each other, the, the minister of the church and the bandmates. And anyway, just some really great stories coming out of people who are playing and communities that are coming together to you know, figure out, OK, what's the venue that we can use for this?
1: Are you across you Canada now?
2: We are across Canada. Yeah, we've done a show in every province, not the territories yet, but every province except for Prince Edward Island, but we're working on PEI.
1: And how many shows have you done?
2: We have completed uh, just over 70, I believe it is, and we've booked 140. Wow! Yeah.
1: Oh, so this is, this is really taking off.
2: Seth, so that's since June. We, booked, we had one show in June.
1: Uh, June last year
2: June last year and so yeah just just under a year now we're we're this we still consider this our testing phase like essentially we're doing this we know people who are posting we're trying to get them to use it and we're just throwing a lot of spaghetti at the wall to be honest and 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 trying to be very um, hands on with everybody who's using all. I just had an hour and a half meeting with an artist who did six dates with us, and you know we have this online Facebook group with our hosts, and we just talk to them constantly because we want to bake everything that they're experiencing and everything that they want into the technology so that it's serving them.
1: So you could have this under the radar touring circuit,
2: ideally. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned, like, if you don't want to go through a booking agent, we've had um, labels and booking agents and managers absolutely upfront use our service so far. Um, you know, like uh, Matthew Barber is uh, doing some dates with us right now. Uh, Tim Baker, all, you know, these kinds of folks who have um, their label and all that stuff in place. But they see the value because, you know, at the end of the day, if you get a gig where you can can make decent coin it's uh and in the split basically for the artists is you just decide okay well we need to bump up the ticket price because we're going to accommodate for our percentages for the you know manager or whatever that's that's up to them they they negotiate that price
0: laura awesome thank you so much
2: you're very welcome
0: laura simpson is the co-founder of side door access she joined us from halifax
2: thank you thank you
3: London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati—from the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine. This is a GNB news update.
0: We're giving away a Google Home Max. Oh, we are.
1: We are. I haven't got mine yet. I uh, no, I was away. Get yours. No, no, no. I sent a note. uh, Hopefully, I'll get it this week because I was in London all last week, and I, I, you know, it's weird because um uh my my I have one of those ring doorbells. And uh, it went off. And so I'm talking to the person uh, on my, my my front step on my phone from London. And uh, I thought that's what she was delivering. But no, it was a wreath my wife had bought through uh, Etsy. So I... <laughs> yeah.
0: First world problems. I be mean, yes, really. The the, the the Google Home Max is really quite a large. It's, it's about as big as a bread box, if you want to get a sense of the size of the thing. And boy, does it pound out the sound. We talked a little bit about how it's got two four and a half inch subwoofers and two tweeters. I don't know what the wattage is on those subwoofers or the tweeters for that matter, but it really fills the room. And the, uh, the folks explained to us when we went down there for the big reveal that it it uses artificial intelligence uh, to figure out the best EQ, I suppose you could say, yeah. based yeah. upon the six microphones spread around the unit, listening to the audio bouncing back into them, so that if you place it, say, near a wall, it's going to have a different sound than if you place it in the center of a room, and therefore the AI figures out, no, 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 let's tweak the settings so that it sounds perfect no matter where you put it. That sounds suspiciously like... Uh, What the Apple HomePod does I think a lot of them do that now. But I, the weird thing about this was that I found the bass response on it was really cranked. It, it, it really, I, I almost had to put bass reducer on my EQ settings on my iPhone because it felt like it was it was overcompensating. And, and that sort of feels like a trick to me. Do you know what I'm saying? Well,
1: it, it is. I mean, that's the problem with Beats headphones is that they've got the bass EQ'd way up and it's completely unnatural. So you have to mess with it. What that's I did, just the way that they manufacture it.
0: What I did find, however, was that um, this unit was able to pump out some of the older tracks in my music collection. And this is going to crush me to say uh, the classic music in my collection, which is the 1980s primarily for me. And I've noticed the difference between the Google Home Max and the Bose surround sound system I've got in my car. My, My older tracks don't sound as good as the new music today, almost as though the new music, is mixed better than the old music, but on the Google Home Max, all the old stuff sounded just as good as the new. That's interesting.
1: Uh, What is the uh source material are you listening to a cd or are you listening to well i guess you're listening to an mp3
0: which is the, the the other neat thing about this is that not only do you use bluetooth or wi-fi to connect to it uh, but if you've got more than one in a room so you've got a rather large room or maybe an outdoor space you can set one speaker to be the left channel and another speaker to be the right channel so that you get a massive uh, stereo sound or you can just have them synchronize so that they're both playing the exact same track simultaneously yeah, that my Sonos does that. Yeah, like I've I've play threes and play fives in the
1: house, and and you can either have them um, running mono or you can pair them, and it's 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 cool to have it paired, especially if you have a um you know a room where you want to have really big sound. You can't do it with a mono speaker, but you can do
0: it with uh, with two sound sources. So the only way you can win this Google Home Max from the world's most popular podcast is by being a member of the world's worst intern program. And how you become a member is you give us a dollar an episode. You don't do any actual work. And the only credit you get is us saying thank you on the big show. So as a way of saying thank you is we put that one dollar or whatever you want to make it as a raffle ticket into the big digital bin, spin it virtually and pluck out the winner. So if you want to donate three dollars an episode, That gives you three raffle tickets. If you want to become a uh, podcast co-producer by donating 25 bucks, that's 25 tickets in the bin. Kevin Waghorn uh, is uh, this week's co-producer beside uh, Michael Rosario. So on the uh, episode artwork that we had done, which we send off to you guys so you can print and frame and hang in your parents' basement, uh, we uh, contracted the name of the record label on this particular episode last week to Wagserio. I don't get it. Waghorn and Rosario.
1: Ah, okay, right, got it. Okay, sorry, thank you.
0: Sorry, you're still back in the. I'm still, topic.
1: I'm still halfway across the Atlantic. Don't worry about me.
0: No, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you, you still haven't gotten over the jet jet lag.
1: Uh, I'm, I'm getting better. No. I had you know, three glasses of vodka before I came on the show, so. <laughs> and a glass of wine. I'm thinking.
0: Eh. So, so basically, you're running at half speed as when you were in England. Kind of. You know, what? these Google Home Maxes, they're four hundred and ninety nine dollars. I know. This is not this is this is not a inconsequential prize that we're giving away. So the way, of course, you uh, get on the list by being a member of the world's worst intern program, go to geeksandbeats.com. Click the support the show link and sign up via Patreon or just send it via our uh, PayPal account. So is this uh, how many weeks are we going to do this one? 2 uh, We're going to do it two weeks. Uh, so we'll give it away uh, the week of the 6th, June 6th. Yeah. OK. And you say that they're really good.
1: I, I've sent a note to Google saying, where's mine? So.
0: Well, and not only is it, of course, a speaker, but it's a smart speaker. So when you uh, use the trigger word, which I won't because anybody who's listening uh, to this on a speaker with another speaker in the room is going to get triggered, is uh, it... It's your artificial intelligence. Just ask it questions, just like you would ask Siri. I was going to say just like how you would ask Alexa. But Alexa, you have to teach it what you want to ask it. And I think that's why Alexa ultimately fails, where Google Home and Siri will win.
1: Oh, speaking of Alexa, did you see the thing where a guy turned Alexa into a a bondage mistress?
0: Wait, what? So basically, we have an Amazon Echo. um, That's just connected to the Internet, so that can be positioned anywhere. Then over here, we have a Raspberry Pi. Again, connects to the internet, can be anywhere. Raspberry Pi is connected to this remote control shocker. It's a uh, shocker remote for a shock collar. And the other end is attached to some lovely juicy little bits down there.
1: So I can go, Alexa, punish.
2: Has this been naughty?
0: Yes. All right. Yes.
3: Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter, Facebook, and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.